If you will, open your Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, if you did not have a Bible with you, there's probably a pew Bible in front of you. Uh, feel free to use that one, and uh, that's what it's there for, and follow along. Have a lot lengthier reading than normally this morning. Uh, just, uh, I kept trying to figure out where to start it and finish it and, and cover everything I wanted it to, and uh, it just, to get the whole story, we needed to read all of it. So we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 32 in just a little bit. And if you look in your bulletin, or if you've already looked in your bulletin, uh, it says that the title of the sermon this morning is Often Too Quick to Stay. Well, I failed somehow in communicating that uh, the way that I meant for it to be. The idea of our sermon this morning is not often too quick to stay, but often too quick to stray. Often too quick to stray. If you'll remember, there is a song, that, uh, a particular line in a song that we sing regularly that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. By way of introduction, I want to share with you, uh, I reached back into my uh, childhood years, young childhood years, and I'm finding that I'm having to reach further and further back to get to them now than I used to. But when I was a kid at Memorial Missionary Baptist Church in Fremont, California, we had a, a, a record that was a part of uh, our youth group uh, games that we would play from time to time as our youth group would meet and so forth. And uh, of course, some of y'all are saying, a record? What is that? But you can go Google it. I've, you can probably still find it on Google somewhere. But we had these records and this record had different sound effects on it. And the idea was, is the, the, the teacher, the, guy, the, the ones that was working with us, our youth worker, would play a particular sound effect from this record, and then we were to guess what biblical story that sound effect went with. For example, I, I remember one of them being the crackling of a fire as it burned, and then hearing a rooster crowing three different times. What would that relate to as far as Bible studies? Rooster crowing. The denying of Christ by Peter. Remember, he warmed himself by the fires, and then he heard the rooster crow the third time, and so he knew, uh, he, and he had denied the Lord just as Christ said he would do. And so that was one of the easier ones, but there were several others that were pretty interesting. I, uh, I had to go back and, and do a little research to find some of those. But, uh, per, for example, the, the sound that is described in Judges chapter 7, verses 17 through 20, it's when the noise that Gideon's soldiers made when they attacked the Midianites and there was the blaring of the trumpets, uh, the, the smashing of pots, and the, the, the shouts of battle cries. Now, I don't have the record to play, but just in your mind, can you hear that? The, all of a sudden, out of the silence, piercing the silence, is this, is this smashing of the pots, the blaring of trumpets, and all of the host in giving their battle cry. We'll do just a couple more and then we'll go on. But uh, I remember this one. This one was pretty interesting to me as, as the way it is described. And, and I think all we could do is kind of imagine it. But in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 24, we find out that uh, when David's soldiers attacked the Philistines, that that sound of them attacking is described as the sound of God's army marching in the treetops. I just... Just let that draw the picture in your mind that it ought to. Imagine armies marching in the treetops and the cracking of limbs and leaves as they would fall and, and, and everything. And so the Bible often t 
tells us uh, smells and sounds and sights and everything to help us to try to picture in our mind what's going on. In our story this morning, uh, as Moses comes down from the mountainside, uh, there is this sound that they hear rising from the camp. And at first, well, maybe it's the sound of battle. No, it's not the sound of battle. Well, is it the sound of this, the sound of that? And as they got closer, Moses said, this is the sound of God's people that have strayed from God. Would you read with me, beginning in Exodus chapter 32 and beginning in verse 1. Again, pardon me for the lengthy reading, but when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves to, uh, together to Aaron and said to him, Up. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. Now I understand you as a father may be wanting, you know, don't read that part, son. But in that day and time, Aaron said, Give me the Aaron. The nose rings, all the other rings from your sons, your daughters, your wives, and so forth. And so Aaron takes all of this gold. The people in verse 3 took off their rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from the hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, I love the humor in this, Go down for your people... I, I would love to have seen Moses' face right then, wouldn't you? Well, my people, <laughs> my people, Lord, uh, they're your people. I, you sent me to deliver them. God says, go down, Moses, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said... These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham. Remember Isaac, remember Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. 
and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of uh, bringing on the people, then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but it is the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and, and burned it with fire. And he ground it to powder and he scattered it into the water. And he made the people of Israel to drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. And for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have uh, gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. When Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp, and he said, Who is on the Lord's side. Come to me, and all the sons of Levi gathered around him. Often too quick to stray. As Moses and God are having this discussion in the mountaintop, and God knows what the children of Israel have just done, and he tells Moses, he said, Go down, for your people that you brought out of Egypt, they are very quick. They are very quick to forsake me and to chase after sin. They are very prone to wander from me. They are given to leave the God who has delivered them and the God that they profess their love to. And so I thought about this idea of being very quick. And so I went back, and I just want to share with you very briefly some of the statements that are found uh, as you go through a quick just kind of carousing of the, of the book of Exodus. In chapter 14, verse 31 Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians. And so all the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the last verse that comes before the, the praise song after they crossed the Red Sea. In chapter 14, verse 31, they're standing there looking over the Red Sea that has just collapsed upon all of Egypt's army. All of their chariots are destroyed. Their horses are dead. All of their warriors and their mighty men of battle are all lying dead. Bodies are strolled everywhere. And they are standing there in verse 14, 31, and they say, We see God's power. We believe God. And Moses, we believe you're his servant. We'll follow you. So in chapter 15, they began to sing. Oh, and they have a worship service like nobody's business. Everything's going great. And then you get down to chapter 15, verse 22. They no, no sooner quit singing the song than Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days. Now count it, three days. 
Three days after watching Egypt destroyed in the Red Sea and making this statement, we believe God, we will follow Moses. Three days later, they find themselves in the uh, wilderness and there is no water. So in verse 23, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, wherefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Then the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I just put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. So they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. We go from... We believe you, Lord. We're going to follow Moses three days. We're not talking about three months, three years. In three days' time, oh, this is a fine mess you got us into, Moses. What would you do, bring us out of here knowing that there'd be no water so we would die here? And they began to grumble and complain against Moses, which understand that as God's leader for them, when they mumble and complain against Moses, who are they mumbling and complaining against? It's God. It's God. All right? Moses had a hard time dealing with this. Any, any pastor, any, any, any representative of God that's dealing with people has a hard time remembering this often, that when they gripe and they complain and they mumble and grumble at you, it's really not you that they're upset with. It's God and what God is doing that they're upset with. And so Moses is, uh, Lord, I, these people are always complaining. But we go from that, and in chapter 16, right after that, that instance where God gives them water and says, listen, guys, if you'll follow me, I will be the God, your healer, and I'll not do anything to you that I did unto Egypt. So they set out in chapter 16, and they go just a little bit further, and all of a sudden they realize, well, we had water. Now we're hungry. What'd you do, Moses? Did you bring us out here to die? Was there not enough graves back in Egypt that we could have been buried? Is that why you brought us out here? What, what, do you do? what was your plan, Moses? Where are we going to get food? And they began to complain against Moses and against God. And God gives them bread, and once again they're happy, and everything's wonderful. You go on and you read, and I'll skip ahead through a lot of this in chapter 24. Moses came and told the people all the words of the law of Moses. And he says, you need to make a choice right now. All right? Here's the law of God. And you need to choose. Are you going to follow these laws or are you not? I say, oh, yes. Yes, Moses, we believe in God. We've seen God's power. We don't want, listen, we don't want God on our, we don't want to be on God's bad list. So, and, and we've seen his power. We're impressed by him. And, and he's taking such good care of us. Yes, Moses, we will, we will abide by those laws. Only very soon thereafter, once again, to stray from God. It is a cycle that appears over and over and over and over in the nation of Israel. Now, I said all that to say this. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul wrote and he said, those things referring to the entire Old Testament were written and recorded for a reason. You know what that reason was? It's for our benefit. 
I, I think a lot of times we read of Israel, we'll read of Peter and his, his mistakes, his sins, we read of, of different characters in the Bible, and, and we think that somewhere in the year of 2018, as God's people, we have crossed a bridge that they never could get to, a bridge that says we are now faithful, we would never announce our love for God and our, our commitment to follow Him only in just a short time to leave the God we love. We, we think we have arrived. Well, let me remind you what Paul said, and I don't think any of us want to compare pedigrees with Paul. Paul said, I consider myself not to have arrived, and I am not yet where I need to be. I keep pressing on. I keep working because I'm not there yet. All those that are uh, of that camp that says that you can fall from grace and lose your salvation, they think that we do not believe in, back, in backslidden conditions. We believe in backslidden conditions. We know they exist. We just don't believe that they cost us our salvation, but they do cost us a lot. So I wanted to borrow from this idea where God said, Moses, your people, they're awful quick to walk away from me. I mean, one day they're saying, we'll follow God to the ends of the earth. And three days later, they're complaining at God. Well, this ain't working out like I thought. This, this, isn't, this isn't what I had planned. So we want to consider this morning often too quick to stray. And I want you to see, and I wish the, the, the projector was working this morning, the rumblings of straying. I want you to know that very seldom does a child of God go from the place where it says, Yes, God, you have my undivided attention. You have my undying love. You have my unyielding commitment. I am going to change my life today. I'm going to be faithful to your house. I'm going to teach this class. I'm going to serve in this area. I'm going to work here. I'm going to do all the things. God, I'm going to start living for you. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to witness to others. God, I, I, you've got it this time. You have my undivided attention. Very seldom do we go from that point to the point where we're at the, as, as the prodigal son describes when he's in his backsliding condition where he's about to put his nose in the trough of the hogs to eat. We usually don't do that in just one quick step. Usually this idea of backsliding is in increments. And it, and it kind of happens often, not necessarily in a, in, in a long period of time, but we don't go from point A to point B all at one time. There's, there's kind of steps that come along. And as we go back and we look at some of the things, I want you to see what may have led to their, to their prone to wander from God, from their being too quick to stray, so that you and I may not be quick to stray. Number one, they walked by sight and not by faith. My wife was checking the uh, PowerPoint for this morning, not knowing it wasn't going to work. But when she read that point, she said, well, Jeff, you got that backwards. We, we talk about walking by faith and not by sight. And I said, yes, I understand. But they were straying. And what caused them to stray is they weren't walking by faith. They were walking by sight. How do you know that? If you go back to chapter 32, you're going to hear him make the statement a couple, three times. Number one, as for this Moses fella, isn't it, isn't it amazing how callous they become about this? I mean, this is the guy that just marched you out of Egypt. And now you're saying, well, as for this Moses cat, you know, we don't really know what's happened to him. What, we saw him go up on that mountain. We see all the fire on that mountain. We see all the smoke, all the lightning, all the rumblings of thunder. 
And he's been up there for some 30 days now. We really don't know what's happened to him. But we have to have something and someone that we can put our eyes on to follow. They're walking by sight, not by faith. We have to have everything spelled out and where we can see it and where we can understand it and, and, and where it makes sense to us and where we can touch it and feel it and, and, and all of those things. And, and God told us that the just shall live by faith. And he said without faith it's impossible to please God. But they don't want to walk by faith. They're walking by sight. And they said, what about God? I mean, uh, at least with Moses was here, we had a, a kind of a mediator between us and God. But now that he's out of the picture, come to think of it, we, we see fire, we see smoke, we see lightning, but we don't really see a God. Where's God? And so they said, Aaron, you're the priest. You're going to have to do something about this. I love how the Bible does this. Did you notice the difference of the description of what Aaron did when it was God's account versus Aaron's account? <laughs> Aaron said, Moses, they all come up here and they all volunteered and just threw all their gold at me. I didn't know what to do with it, so Moses, I gathered it all up and I threw it all in the fire and I was standing there watching it and all of a sudden, poof, out of smoke comes this calf. God said, that's not what happened. God's account of that is that Aaron said, you all take your gold off and give it to me. And he began to fashion it and form it into that of a calf. And then he built an altar in front of it. And he is the one that gave the word, let us now rise up and have a party as we worship our golden calf. Now I want you to understand something. It's not that they were trying to replace God. A lot of people miss that point. They were not replacing God with the gods of Egypt. That's not what happened here. For Aaron said, tomorrow we will rise up to the Lord. Aaron was just simply understanding these people could not live by faith. They were wanting to live by sight and they had to have something that they could see, something that they could touch, something that could lead them and that they would follow after. And so he said, here, I'm going to give you a representation of what God may look like. Now, no doubt he's influenced by the Egyptians, but he is not building a new God. He's just trying to provide the people with something that they can put their eyes on to be a representation of God. Say, so, well, that's not so bad then, is it, that he's not replacing God? It's still a matter of walking by what? Sight, not by faith. You and I are called to follow him and walk by faith, trusting him in every step of the way. And when all of a sudden we can no longer walk by faith, just mark it down. You've taken that first step in being ready to stray. All right? For if we walk by sight and not by faith, we have begun the process of straying from him. The rumblings of straying continued in desiring to fit in. Well, we've got to have some kind of representation. We've got to have something that we can, we can set out there on, uh, on, a, on a card or something that we can say, well, this is our representation of God, and as it goes through the wilderness, we can follow it, and we'll feel good about that. But as I mentioned just a minute ago, the idea of that representation came from Egypt, from the world. That's what they had just spent four centuries plus learning. 
and watching and observing as, as, as Egypt had all of their different gods. And, and, and it's not true that they all were represented by the calf. Some of them were by the eagle. Some were by the snake. Some were by the alligator. Some were by all this and that and the other. But it was the calf that stood out in their mind. And in a desire to not be different. Nobody likes to be made fun of. Nobody likes to be talked about. All right? I mean, Trevor would not like it if we said, you know, that, old boy, that Trevor, have you ever seen the size of ears that boy's got on the side of his head? They should have named him Dumbo instead of Trevor. And Goofy? Y'all, I, I literally, I, had, I started calling him here a while back Turtle Boy. He's got a picture that he made a face for his mother, and, and she happened to send it to me, and I, I swear it looks like the face of a turtle. All right? Now, he don't want me probably going to school and telling all these stories. He probably don't want me telling him here. We like to fit in, don't we? Nobody wants to be different. Nobody wants to stand out. If you stand out in the world, it invites what from the world? Criticism. All right? But just understand this. The day you and I were saved, we were saved to stand out from this world. You understand what I'm talking about? Is it going to bring criticism from the world? You better know it. Are they going to talk about you? Yes, sir, they are. Are they going to laugh and snicker behind your face? Yes, they will. But we were not called. Did not Paul say, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That there's something more important. We want to walk by sight, not by faith. And we don't, want to, we don't want to stand out. We don't want anybody to think that there's anything odd about us. And before you know it, they're straying from the God that they love. Walking by sight, not by faith. Desiring to fit in. Forgetting or taking light our covenantal position. Just prior to this event in chapter 32, Moses had asked them, here's the law of God. Which, by the way, they did have. Aaron knew better. Aaron had already been told, I am a jealous God. You will not worship any other God. And you will not make any graven image. Even if you intended to be an image of me, you do not make a graven image. Aaron knew all that. But he strayed. Why? Well, we're walking by sight. We don't, we, we don't want to stand out. We want to fit in with all the nations of the world. Why did, why did Israel get a king to begin with? besides the one they already had in the Lord? Why did they want a king when Saul was anointed? All the other nations have got one. If they all want to have one, we're going to have one. Trying to be like the world, forgetting or taking lightly their covenantal position. Right before this, Moses said, here's the law, God. Do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, don't do this. What do you think? God said, if we'll follow it and obey it, he's going to bless us. If we don't, then all those things that happened in Egypt, we can expect them. And the people said, well, yeah, we can live, we can, we, we can do that. We'll, we'll go that route, that's all right. Yeah, that sounds great to us, Moses. But somewhere along the line, as they're beginning to walk by sight and as they're wanting to fit in with the world and, and as they're uh, you know, for, traveling further and further away, and now all of a sudden, 
that relationship that they had entered into with God doesn't mean as much to them as it once had. I, I, listen, I, I don't want you to reply in any kind of way that would embarrass anybody, but you in your heart, you already know the answer to this before I even ask it. Are there times in our life where our relationship with the Lord doesn't mean what it used to mean to us? And if you're out there thinking right now, well, <laughs> yeah, to be honest, preacher, that's kind of where I'm at right now, then you need to understand you are well on the way in that process that is prone to wander. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is far, far more important than our relationship with our wives, our college professors, our relationship with our boyfriends or girlfriends, our relationships with our kids, our parents, our relationship with God must mean something, and it had began to mean less to them. And they began to live then for the next high. I put this on there, and my wife said, are you sure you want to word it that way? I said, yep. Because here's the danger of what they were doing. They were going from that tremendous moment of, of God bringing water out of a rock to God bringing manna from heaven to God defeating the Melekites and the Amorites and God doing this and God doing that. And all of a sudden they got so used to those great big high moments that the ordinary everyday life seemed to be a letdown. You ever been there? You ever felt like your spiritual life was just kind of plain and ordinary? See, that's, that's the thing. We, we talk about all these, all these steps in, 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 in backsliding, and we want to talk about music, we want to talk about this, we want to talk about that, uh, too many video games, too much this, that, and the other, and, and, and because that's, that's, a, that's a checklist that we can go and we can... But a lot of times it's, it's, it's more basic stuff. I just don't feel like my life is very special today. That's a dangerous place to be for a child of God. Oh, I, I, if I just could have this great outpouring of God's presence and God's power and God's spirit in my life, well then, but I got news for you. God's always all of those things. But one of those sounds, in that game I was telling you about from the record, one of those sounds was an earthquake and a fire and a wind and all of those things, and then there was a small, still If you remember, the author of that said, I didn't find God in the earthquake. I didn't find him in the fire. I didn't fire, find him in the wind. I didn't find him in the tornado. You know where I found God? In that small, still voice. That's where God was. You know what? For us as a child of God and in the lives we live, a lot of times it's just that same old routine of day in, day out, just being faithful. Just being faithful. But when that's not enough for you, now you're looking for something that'll give you more excitement. Don't think for a moment that Satan doesn't take that as an opportunity to show you something more exciting. Be careful about living to the, from high to high to high and find that often, as a child of God, it's not having that high point, but it's having that daily fellowship with him. I've got to hurry. Often we're too quick to stray, and there's rumblings of it. The results of our stray, straying, what an insult to God. I, I want you to think for just a moment. Here is God. 
And if you look at other places in the Bible, God says, Israel, here's the way I describe you. I describe you as a baby that was born unto a woman, and she cast it out into the middle of the wilderness. She didn't even clean it up from the birth, and she didn't leave any clothes. She didn't leave any food. She just cast it out there to die. And, and, and then he, he says that that's you, Israel, and I came in when nobody else would, and I cleaned you up, and I fed you, and I nursed you, and I dressed you up, and I raised you, and I made you something very, very, very precious i called you my own god's saying look israel i'm the one that defeated all the gods of egypt i am the one that took that arrogant ruler pharaoh and i brought him to his knees no other power in earth could do it i'm the one that spared you through all of the plagues i'm the one that parted the red sea I'm the one that has done all this and that and the other. And now you want to stand there and forget about me and you want to, you want to make graven images of me and you're prone to wander. You're quick to flee from me. What an insult to God. Makes good preaching, doesn't it? Until we realize our own sin is what to God? It's an insult, isn't it? The results of this straying from God was an insult to God and it brought the chastening from God. If you go on and read in chapter 32, there was a bunch of people that died because of this. There's a reoccurring theme throughout the Bible. When Israel would stray from God, there was almost always death. You notice that? And I remember then what the Bible says in the New Testament, the wages of sin is death. Go figure. It worked out every time. The results of their straying is an insult to God, a, a chastening from God. And then we find in that text in Exodus 32 that they became a laughing stock to the nations. I was reading here a while back of a preacher that was trying to win a Muslim to the Lord. And, and he had shared much about the Bible with the Muslim and, and he had the Muslim really thinking seriously about what the, the preacher was sharing with them. And the Muslim, as a lot of people that are lost will do, will ask a question off of topic, trying to get us off of topic and, and get away from this because they're uncomfortable with discussions about their salvation. So he asked a question kind of off topic and he talked about the homosexuality in our land and marriages breaking up and things of that nature. And he said, I just don't understand it. The Muslim said, I, I, you know, y'all look down on us. I'm sure he didn't say y'all, but y'all look down on us. But homosexuality is not accepted in our world. And, 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 and wedding or marriages are, are, are mean much more to us and things of that nature. And he began to share some of these things. And the preacher said, well, you're talking about homosexuality. You're talking about marriages breaking up and you're talking about those that are out in the world, if you'll get into the household of faith among the children of God, you're going to find out it's different. And without missing a beat, the Muslim looked at him and said, you mean like so-and-so, who is a member of your church, who every week goes and has an affair with another man? You mean like so-and-so, and he calls somebody by name. And, and the point is, when we stray from God, we become a laughing stock to the world. 
every time a big-name preacher fell because of extortion of money or for this or that and the other because they had an affair, the cause of Christ, even though they may or may not have been directly related to the cause of Christ, the cause of Christ took a hit and we became a laughing stock. The world loves to hear how children of God fail and how we stray. The results of us straying from God is we've insulted God. We, and we now face the chastening from God and we've made a mockery before the world. Often too quick to stray, there's the wrong response when you realize that you have strayed. We see our strayings as no big deal. Moses came down from Aaron and, uh, from the mountain. He said, Aaron, I love the wording of this. Aaron, what did the people do to you to get you to this point? Moses was to totally blown away that Aaron would have gotten to this point. I mean, it's, uh, to put it in modern day terms, what Moses is saying is, Aaron, did they hold a gun to your head? Is that how you got to this point? And you know what Aaron's response was? Don't let your anger burn hot. I.e., Moses, what we did here really ain't that big a deal. It's really not that big a deal. You're, you're making a mountain out of a molehill, Moses. It's really not that bad. You know what? When we stray and God's Spirit gets a hold of us and we know we've been backslidden, you know what we want to convince ourselves? Ah, it's really not that bad. And what we do then is we find somebody else that we know, like I was talking about the lady that was a member of a church that's having an affair. See, I'm better than that. Every sin, listen to me please, if you don't get nothing else, get this this morning. Every single sin that may be small in the eyes of man is a big deal to God. It's enough of a big deal that he sent his son to die on the cross even for those no big deal sins. Aaron said, this really ain't that big of a deal, Moses. The wrong response to our straying is convince ourselves, I, I don't have to go and get my life right. I'm not saying you need to be saved again. If you're a child of God, you never lost your salvation. But sometimes even a child of God needs to fall on his face before God and seek repentance. The wrong way to handle it is to say it's no big deal. The, the other thing that happens is we shift blame to somebody else. Again, this discrepancy of how the story is told between God and Aaron. God says, this is what you did, Aaron. And Aaron says, well, I, you know, I, <laughs> I was standing here doing my priestly job. And all of a sudden, these two million people, can you imagine that? Could you imagine me standing here today and all of a sudden two million people just start coming up here and throwing all their gold at me? Y'all don't act like you expect that to happen. I don't either. Why does Aaron believe that's what happened? Aaron says, Moses, you need to understand something. It's not me. I was standing here serving the Lord, and all of a sudden these people started doing this. And Moses, I, I, I didn't know what else to do with it. I got earrings from two million people all around me, so I didn't know what else to do. I just picked them up and threw them in the fire. And I'm standing there watching it. Wow, gold makes a pretty color in the fire. Look at that. There was a puff of smoke, and I looked, and out pops his calf. It's their fault. I didn't do it. Wrong response to straying. It's no big deal. Shift the blame to someone else. And a refusal, refusal to confess and seek forgiveness. I'm almost done, but hang with me for just a minute. 
Moses comes down. He throws the tablets on the ground. People have talked about whether that was the right thing or not to do. In my mind, and maybe I'm justifying it, but in my mind, what he was doing is he, he was telling Israel, you had agreed to obey by these laws. And by throwing them down and shattering them into pieces, I think he was giving a visible illustration to Israel. This is what you've done to God's law. You've broken his entire law. For if you are guilty of breaking the law in one manner, you're guilty of what? All of the law. And by throwing him and shattering him, I think he was sending Israel a message. This is what you've done to God's law. And then he makes the announcement, one of the last verses we read. All y'all, two million people out there, all y'all that are on the Lord's side, come to me. And not everybody came. Y'all, you know how many times I've sat in a service deep inside nobody ever saw it ever nobody ever knew it deep inside my heart was broken I was a weeping sobbing mess because I knew I had wandered I had strayed I knew that the sermon it was like I was the only one in the building And that preacher was pointing his finger and he was pointing straight at me, preaching to me alone. That's why I felt. And I knew, I knew he was right. And I knew what I needed to do. But you know what? There was a lot of Sundays I'd sing and smile after I rung the pew back in front of me to just nothing but sawdust. Finally, he said, that's enough on the invitation. I thought, man, this was getting hard to do. I called on somebody to pray. And I walked out and I shook his hand and I said, that was a great message, Brother Stanifer. Thank you. Which only made it worse. Because now deep inside, not only have I understood where I was and what I needed to do, but now I've compiled upon that another sin because I was not, I was not about to walk an aisle and make it right that day. Who's on the Lord's side? Come on. Some came. Some would not. So what's the correct way to stray? Correct response? When you realize that you began to live by sight and not by faith, you realize that you're just trying to fit in with the world instead of being different. You realize that all of a sudden you're trying to live from one high to the next. Then today, here's how you deal with it. You make a decision. That's what some of them did. The offer was made. If you're on the Lord's side, come on. And I could imagine at first, just like in every invitation of a church, ain't nobody going to step out. But finally, someone steps out. And lo and behold, someone else says, well, I'll go too. And then another, and then another. It's one of the reasons why I, I beg and plead with you, never miss an opportunity if the Lord's dealing with you to respond in invitation time. You might be the catalyst that somebody else will follow the Lord as well. The way to handle your straying is to make a decision. I'm, I'm going back today. I've wandered, 
but I'm going back today. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to ask him to forgive me. And I'm going to throw myself on his mercy, for that's all I have to throw myself on. Father, as we come to you today, we stand very quietly and prepare for this verse of invitation. Lord, I'm not the spirit. I can't look into hearts. I can't stir hearts. I can't convince them. All I can do is share your word. But Father, I know the power of your word and the power of your spirit. And I pray that if there's one here today that's never truly accepted you, God, that today your word and your spirit would be strong piercing their heart. And I pray for those of us that are your children, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. We sing it in song, but we always sing it about somebody else. It's never us. When in fact, it often is us, for often we are too quick to stray. God, if there's one of your children here today that has strayed, Lord, that you would call them patiently, mercifully, lovingly, but God, please, that they would not resist you, but they would respond by making the decision to come home and to come back through confession and repentance. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.